Welcome to Full Disclosure by Pop Sugar, a new podcast tackling sex and reproductive health unapologetically presented by Anna Vera. I'm Francesca Ramsey, an actor, writer, and safe space, a reformed prude. That's right. And my group of friends, I'm usually the one holding back when the sexcapade stories start flying. So much so that in college, my nickname was Prudy. But today is a new day. And now more than ever, we need a space to talk about sex, pleasure, and our bodies and reproductive justice in a way that's healthy, honest, and empowering. So on each episode of this show, I'll be sitting down with women's health experts for a judgment-free conversation to empower you inside and outside of the bedroom. Here, there are no euphemisms, no shame, and definitely no stigma. Just real talk. So let's go there, consensually, of course. This episode of Full Disclosure by Pop Sugar is presented by Anavera, Suggesterone Acetate and Ethanol Estradiol Vaginal System. I'll talk to them and say, if you're not comfortable having this conversation, are you comfortable even having sex? And the whole reason you need the birth control is because you've decided that you want to walk down this particular path. You know, it's funny. (laughs) There's an analogy that I heard on 90210. I'm dating myself. Don't judge me. (laughs) Oh, girl. Um, I I watched 90210. I I remember. (laughs) Donna said Uh something to the effect of sex is like a swimming pool. You can build a fence around the pool and you can tell your kids not to go in the pool. But at the end of the day, do you want them to get in that pool and not know how to swim? Today's guest is Dr. Kiara King, an OBGYN who specializes in reproductive health. When it comes to sex, she has heard it all before and there are no stupid questions. So today we are hitting her with any and everything on our mind when it comes to our birth control options. Dr. King, thank you so much for joining us here on Full Disclosure. Thank you, Francesca. Super excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to jump into this conversation. I have so many questions. First, I will say there are so many options out there when it comes to birth control. It's a little overwhelming. What do you think we should be keeping in mind when it comes to choosing the right birth control? So when I talk to my patients... They often come and they say, what do you think is the best option for me? Mm. And I turn the question back on them and I say, what do you think is the best option for you? And, you know, we kind of joke and laugh at that, but it really is an individual approach. Mm -hmm. Birth control is not one size fits all. It is going to be based on each individual's, their medical history, their uh, you know quality of life, what they're able to take. I have some patients that will come and say, I cannot swallow pills. Mm. I just, every time I try and swallow pills, I just can't do it. And I say, okay, well, birth control pills then are not a great option for you. Right. Because if you're going to have an aversion to taking them or whatever, we don't want you to not take the method because then the method won't be effective. (laughs) Right. What's the point of doing it if you can't do it? (laughs) Exactly. What is the point? Like you can say I'm on birth control, but if you're not taking it, you're not on anything. Right. So it really comes down to what will be most effective 
for each person. And again, that is going to depend on a variety of factors based on that individual person. Okay. So someone who says, I can't take pills, what are some other things that people Mm -hmm. might say is going to determine what kind of birth control they're looking for? How old they are? Like if they're in a serious relationship, are they married? Like just what are some of those other factors? Those are some great points. So really marital status doesn't make any difference. The biggest things that we are looking at are, does the patient have any medical problems that would be a concern for taking certain types of birth control? Mm -hmm. Does the patient have any uh, physical limitations? You know, if, if a patient say is in a wheelchair or they have limited mobility, are they someone that can easily reach around and place a patch, you know, on their side, you know, different things like that. If I have patients who've had a history of say a blood clot, there are going to be certain types of birth control options that aren't good for Mm. them. So it's really going to depend mostly on that person's medical history. And then again, on their own lifestyle, which options will be best for them. Oh, that's, I hadn't really thought about the the blood clot thing, but that Mm -hmm. does make sense. Um, Okay. How does birth control actually work? Because I know like on paper, it makes sense. You take this pill and it keeps you from getting pregnant. But like, what is it? What is it? Is the pill like in my uterus? Like, hey guys, get out of here. <laughs> no, like, we're closed. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Get out. Like what is actually happening <laughs> when this <laughs> enters my body? <laughs> So the pill does not live in your uterus. It's, it's not locally act. It doesn't like travel down to your uterus and like explode there and you know okay. set, up a, set up a party. So pills, patches, and rings are all going to have, for the most part, similar types of hormones in them, and they're going to function in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those forms of birth control usually work to inhibit ovulation. So ovulation occurs and releases an egg and then it's fertilized. So if you inhibit ovulation and you don't ovulate, then you decrease your risk or your chances of getting pregnant. Oh, okay. Those methods can also thicken cervical mucus. And so if the mucus in the cervix, where kind of the sperm have to pass through to get into the uterus, if that mucus is thickened, then sperm have a hard time penetrating the mucus. So those are, are some of the, the main ways that pills, patch, ring would work. Mm-hmm. IUDs, there's different types of IUDs. Or there are hormonal containing IUDs. Those typically work by thinning out the lining of the uterus really thin so that an egg or a fertilized egg is like, we don't want to live here because this is not thick and much mm. and like nice and cushy where we want to <laughs> implant and develop a pregnancy. If fertilized, the hormonal IUDs also thicken cervical mucus as well. So just like I mentioned with the pills mm-hmm. in a similar fashion, it makes it harder for sperm to get through. There are copper IUDs and the copper essentially kind of interferes with how the sperm act. And so that it helps to prevent the sperm from being able to fertilize the egg, the actual Mm. copper within the IUD. And spermicides, you know, if we're we're going back on that end, things like spermicides, or if a woman is using a sponge with the spermicide, the spermicide actually acts to kill the sperm in the vagina before it can 
get to work and even fertilize egg. I know. Doesn't that sound I know. I'm just like, whoa, that is so intense. I'm having like the most vivid pictures in my mind where I'm just like, wow, I, like, I feel bad for them. Like, I know I don't like, I don't want you guys, but I'm also like, damn, they have to die. Like, that's just, die. oh man, you know? All right. Well, I mean, you know, listen, it's, it's, either, <laughs> it's either them dying or them fertilizing an egg. Yes, yes, yes. We're, I mean, we're choosing. Yeah. I mean, yes. And you tell them what's up. You're like, listen, (laughs) uh, it's a limited capacity. (laughs) It's a short term stay. It's it's not a long term thing here. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. Especially if you're taking hormones into your body, Mm -hmm. I could imagine that there might be side effects. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, like I had a copper IUD for a while. And man, my period was so heavy Mm -hmm. when I was on that copper IUD and I knew it was a side effect and it it did taper off after a few years. And that's when I, by that point I was like, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. But with all these different options, they're going to interact with your body differently. So what are some potential things that people should be thinking about before they make a choice as to what birth control is going to work for them? Just knowing how your body might respond to it. Yeah. Again, fantastic question. I feel like I'm in a patient exam room because I literally, (laughs) this is literally how I counsel, this is how I counsel my patients. And I walk them through these steps so that they can hear all of these different things and say, oh, that doesn't sound right for me. Or, oh, that sounds like a great option for me. Right. So let's start with IUD since you kind of left off there. So when patients are coming and say they've already kind of decided that they want an IUD and I'm talking to them about the different options, as I mentioned, there's a hormonal option. There is is a copper IUD as well. I usually tell them if you choose the copper IUD, your periods may be heavier mm-hmm. and you may have more painful or more cramp, uh, more crampy periods. And, you know, so if I have a patient that has super heavy periods already, right. I kind of tell them like, hey, you may want this one, but just know your periods have the potential to get heavier. Yeah. You know, so I don't want them coming back into the office like, well, I never knew. And it's like, well, we have yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so on the flip side, the hormonal IUDs, they contain a form of progesterone that's released, a, a small amount is released on a daily basis over anywhere from three to five years, depending on which IUD you have. And the hormones cause the lining of the uterus. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it causes the lining of the uterus to thin out. So generally when women get that type of IUD, their periods are really light or possibly even non-existent. So if a patient comes and they're like, I really want something for birth control. My periods have been heavy for a few years. I've had all this testing. Everything's normal. I don't want heavy periods anymore. That's something that actually may help may help them in terms mm-hmm. of thinning out the lining. Sometimes people will have skin changes with hormonal methods such oh. as acne with like with the progesterone only like IUDs. Some people will notice skin changes. Some people will notice mood changes with the um, hormonal IUD. If we're switching over to things like a birth control pill, the ring or the patch, which for the most part, like I mentioned before, they are going to have very similar types of hormones. They're going to have an estrogen and a progestin in those formulations. I tell people they may experience for the first couple of cycles, the first cycles, meaning maybe the first two to three months that they're taking that particular method, they may have headaches, they may have nausea. They may have vomiting. 
they may have some irregular bleeding Mm -hmm. in those first couple of months. And then I always tell patients that anytime you're on a combined method of estrogen and progesterone, really anything with estrogen, you are going to be at a slightly higher risk for developing things like blood clots in the lungs or the legs. Mm. Those are the common side effects some people will have. And then those are the things I warn people about in terms of the with those different methods. If you're going down to spermicides, diaphragms, things like that, people may have allergic reactions to mm-hmm. the spermicides. People may have just like general discomfort and just kind of feeling like the diaphragm isn't sitting correctly or maybe it's not positioned properly. So those are the types of things that uh, women may experience if they're using those methods. What about um, moodiness? Because mm-hmm. I took, I was on the pill in college and I will admit college was a stressful time, mm-hmm. but I was just like a major cry. I was just crying all the time. (laughs) I would be in class and the teacher would call on me and I would just start bawling. (laughs) Like, what is wrong with me? What is happening to me? (laughs) Yes. Like I mentioned with the uh, hormonal IUD, some women will experience mood changes and people can absolutely experience mood changes with birth control pills, patch, and or ring. Interestingly enough, I tell people all the time, or patients, I should say, that some of the side effects that women experience while on hormonal contraception are many of the side effects or the symptoms that people have when they're pregnant. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Vomiting, sometimes headaches. I have a lot of moms that come in that first trimester. They're like, oh my God, I have the worst headaches. They have morning sickness. Um, And it's it's for the same reason. That's so interesting. Hormones are naturally, you know, fluctuating and increasing as the pregnancy goes on and progresses. And when you're taking birth control pills, you're introducing hormones into your system that weren't previously there before. Now, yes, you did have estrogen in your system and there's progesterone in your system, et cetera, but you're introducing a kind of an exogenous or you're introducing an external version of those hormones. Mm. So sometimes until your body adjusts, you can absolutely have some of those same symptoms similar to pregnancy. So in in a way, could could you argue that the birth control is almost making your body think it's pregnant or, or is it just like, just happens to be because of the increase in hormones, they're very similar in symptoms. Well, they're going to be very similar in symptoms. And the thing is the hormones are inhibiting ovulation. And when you are pregnant, your body is not ovulating anymore. So they are certainly similar in some respects. So Mm -hmm. I I don't necessarily ever tell patients like the hormones are tricking your body into thinking. Yeah. That's just not the language I personally use. I get that. I know that may be a helpful context for people to understand it. I usually just tell them, hey, this method inhibits ovulation. And because you're not ovulating, you can't get pregnant. And they're usually like, oh, okay. That that makes makes sense. sense. Yes. (laughs) So I'm, I'm a really hands on like, explainer when I, when it comes to patients, because I really want them to understand, like they are coming to me for some type of medical advice and it doesn't make sense for them to leave and be like, now, what did she just say? Right. So I usually try and really break down, especially when it comes to birth control, because again, because everyone responds so differently, they've already heard from their friend, their cousin, their mom. Oh my God. When I took birth control, I had all these horrible symptoms and they're already thinking, Mm -hmm. 
potentially that they may have some really adverse reaction. But when you explain why the things happen, they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And so I think just kind of helping put into context why some of those symptoms happen, things that they can expect, it takes away some of those unknowns. And if they do experience things, it kind of helps out a little bit. Right. I mean, on that note, are there any side effects or red flags that someone should be looking out for to realize that maybe their birth control isn't working? I wouldn't say not so much that it's not working. Birth control is actually quite effective. Um, If you're looking at pills, patches, and rings, what we call in medicine, like the failure rate is pretty low. It's less than 3%. So that means like 97% of the time, if that person is taking it appropriately, not like Mm -hmm. skipping 20 days of the month, then they will be well protected. When you look at IUDs, it's even more effective. So those are going to drop down to less than 1% for a failure rate. Mm -hmm. And honestly, part of that is because there's no user error. You know, the IUD is implanted into the uterus. Someone's not taking it in and out every day. Someone's not taking a pill every day. Someone's not Mm -hmm. applying a patch every day. And so, you know, you have a little bit more success, but in general, most birth control works really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I usually tell patients if you're taking it as instructed and I, you know, I go over how to take it as well, but if you're taking it as instructed, the likelihood of failure is pretty low. Now I do, like I mentioned before, give warning signs for things like blood clots in the lungs or legs, because those are kind of the red flags that if a patient is experiencing certain types of symptoms, they need to know those right. types of things. So generally, I'll I'll tell people, if you develop swelling in one leg that wasn't there prior to taking birth control pills, if that swelling, if that swollen area is warm, if it's tender, um, if it's painful to touch, and your other leg is completely normal, that could be a sign of, of a blood clot. You know, if you happen to work and you stand on your feet all day and you take off your socks and there's just a slight bit of swelling on both feet not anything you need to be concerned about. It's usually one or like, is it's normally one or the other or? It could be one or the other. I suppose someone could have blood clots in both legs, but you would absolutely be experiencing those same symptoms. It's not good. You know, if you ever, if you, at the end of the day, you take off your socks, if you were standing all day or even sometimes sitting all day, you're like, man, my feet are swollen, but it's usually both feet and they, you're both of your Mm -hmm. feet kind of look exactly the same. Like one is not significantly more swollen. Or like when you decide that you're like, well, this is technically a 10 and a half, but it's fine. And then- (laughs) By the end of the day, I'm like, why did I do that to myself? I'm an 11. I am a solid 11. And I just said, I'm going to do this 10 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. by the end of the day, I'm like, oh, my feet hate me. If, if you choose to do that, yeah, you'll, act, you'll absolutely get some swelling. And yeah. then another thing is, for example, if, if somebody is develops sudden onset shortness of breath or a cough out of nowhere or they're coughing up blood um, – or they have chest pain or or any of those symptoms combined, those can be a sign of a blood clot in the lungs. So I usually counter that with, okay, if you're kind of out of shape and you just decided you were going to run up 10 flights of stairs and you're out of breath, I'm not too worried about that. If you're sitting down at your couch and you've been sitting there for 30 minutes and all of a sudden you become short of breath, having chest pain, that's something that needs to be evaluated urgently, especially in the context of tape of taking certain hormonal methods. Right. Um, so those are generally the types of red flags I have people look out for. And otherwise, if they're taking it as they should, as instructed, generally the failure rate is going to be pretty low. 
Okay. And then, you know, you talked about how someone might come into your office and have all these preconceptions about birth control because of what their friends or their family members might have said to them. What are some common misconceptions that you've heard about birth control? Oh, man. They're going to make me gain weight. Am I going to be able to have a baby after this? All my hair is going to fall out. I mean, it. <laughs> I've I've heard a variety of things and I'm like, huh, okay, well, you know, but the thing is people are working within the context of what they know. So if, you know, people that are around them or if they've read something on the internet is saying a certain thing, then that's their frame of reference. So, you know, you just, I, I usually work with them to kind of meet them where they are and educate them, you know, so that they have a better understanding of what things would look like if they took a particular method. Yeah. I mean, that's so important, especially to your point, people are getting bad information places Mm -hmm. and maybe the family member or friend is not trying to intentionally uh, mislead them. Like they're trying to give them, you know, the best advice that they can, Mm -hmm. but that's why it's so important that even if you've heard certain things about certain birth control methods that you know when you go and see your doctor that you can ask those questions judgment-free and actually get the real story as opposed to, you know, old wives' tales or like a weird Facebook post or something. <laughs> just, <laughs> just be careful about your sources. Yes. Yes. I can't, I can't say that enough. You know, do we all Google stuff at times? Absolutely. But yes. if you're Googling and using that as your only source of information, you just you just never know what the quality of information is. And I never I never want to be one that is going to discount anyone's experience. Right. So what you may Google, that may legitimately be that person's experience, mm-hmm. um, but it's one person's experience. And so if you're using that as a frame of reference and maybe they didn't have a great experience, you may be really fearful of of a particular, and not just birth control, but just, you know, anything medical anything, or anything, right. anything in life. Oh my gosh, WebMD. WebMD, I know is a great resource, yeah. but I have had so many times where I'm like, I'm dying because <laughs> I looked on WebMD and I was like, I have an itch and I coughed one time and I and hit my and now I'm dying. I have to get my affairs in order. Like I just start going down a rabbit hole That's so and funny. they have to re- remember like, yes, these are valid symptoms. It doesn't yeah. mean that I have this thing and I'm not a doctor. My job is not to actually look at my symptoms and come up with the diagnosis. There's a professional whose job that is. So I'm going to trust them to help me uh, make the most informed decision about my care and what's going on with my body. Absolutely. So this is like the signature game of our podcast. Okay. It is two truths and a lie. Have you ever played this game before? I think so. Like not recently, but I think like you... I say two things that are true and then make up a fake thing. Yes, exactly. Okay. I will Am go. I, I will go. That up or are you making it up? Yeah, I will. I will start. I will start. And it, you know, if you, if you, I'm putting you on the spot here, so you don't have to make one up if you don't want to. But okay. I have three statements about myself, and two of them are going to be true, and one of them will be a lie, and okay. you will have to use your powers of deduction to decide <laughs> which one is not true. So, are okay. you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Number one. My freshman theater class taught me how to put in a tampon. Number two, 
I once bought plan B in Paris. And number three, one time I lost my tampon in a swimming pool. I'm going to say the lie is number one. Mm, No, actually, I didn't know how to put my tampon in. I came back to class, like hobbled back to class. And a girl in my class told everybody and they were all like, do they were like, stick it up, stick it up. And I was like, it was truly traumatizing. (laughs) You know what? But I never forgot how to put a tampon in after that. You're like, never again will this happen. Ever. Ever. Okay, so that one was not a lie. Do you want to try one more guess? Um, I don't know why I feel like, because the plan B in Paris seems so out there. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's a truth. Like, I feel like that's like, mm. that are making it. like see that I'm, I'm all about like the, the logic. Yes. I, I like it. This is a smart way to go about it. I like this but, it's a strategy. But I also think that that's kind of true. So then is the third one, the lie? You're cr- the third one is the lie. The third oh, one is the yes. lie. Yes, I yes. have never lost a tampon in a swimming pool. That would truly, I would probably, I wouldn't be here today if that had happened. I would, like, I would shrivel be up and die. Oh my God. I was honestly between number one and number three as the mm-hmm. lie. Yeah. I like I, part of me. See, I, I, I'm an overthinker. I was like, it was between freshman year of high school, freshman year of college. Yeah, so it was I'm freshman like, year of high school. I'm like, if it was freshman year of college, then no, she already knew how to put one in by then. So it, it can't be that. That like that has to be the lie. That was literally why I didn't pick number three. Oh, that's but, so funny. No, I, I so I did. It's so funny that you said that Plan B in Paris sounds almost too specific. But yes. to me, it's like a movie. T- like I'm just like this is a missed Plan opportunity. I need to. I need to turn this into something, but I absolutely bought Plan B in Paris and it was hysterical because I don't speak French. And I was just like taking the train on a Sunday being like, shit, shit, shit. I got, I got to find a place to buy Plan B. (laughs) Like roaming the streets of Paris and asking people like, no baby, no, no, I don't want a baby. Where do I find the thing for this? And then being like, what is wrong with this American girl? You have some classic stories here. I feel like (laughs) this needs to be like documented somehow. I know. If someone out there is listening and wants to make uh, Plan B in Paris into a movie, I'm ready. I think this would be a great story. (laughs) So another question I have for you is can birth control impact your sex life? Because on the topic of misconceptions Mm -hmm. or misinformation that might be out there, I know that I definitely heard when I was in college that birth control would lower your sex drive. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that was something that like dudes were saying to try and like (laughs) not, they're like, oh no, no, no. You don't want to take that stuff. (laughs) Even though they're not taking anything at all. Um, So some women their libido can be impacted um, by a a hormonal birth control method. And it's generally going to be the hormonal types just Mm -hmm. because the hormones may, you know, impact that aspect of our health. But again, what I encourage women to do is to kind of look at the whole picture. You know, is it solely just your libido that's affected and everything else in your life is just 
all on point. You right. know, are you stressed out about other things in your life? Um, especially during this, like this particular uh, time that we're in right now, right. there are so many stressors on people. And, you know, so I always want to look at all of the things that can be impacting libido potentially. Right. And not just, and not just blame one thing. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if someone says, you know what? No, nothing else has really changed. I started taking my birth control pills two months ago, and this is exactly when all of my symptoms started. Then, you know, we may have to have a discussion on, okay, well, let's talk about, do you have any drive? Do you have any issues or any concerns with your partner? If everything's still the same, okay, maybe we want to consider changing methods um, to see if you may have better you know, better results with that. Because obviously, you know, people want to enjoy and get pleasure from sex. Mm -hmm. And if your drive is completely gone and then you're worried about that, it kind of, you know, kind of takes the fun out of it. Of course. Um, And so, you know, I, I definitely always try and, you know, have a multifaceted approach to see, you know, where we can address those things. But some women do notice that their libido is impacted. Mm-hmm. But some moms in like the postpartum state mm-hmm. will be undergoing some hormonal changes as their bodies get back to normal. They may notice, especially if they're breastfeeding, that the lining of or the inside of the vagina, they may experience kind of more dryness. Mm-hmm. And so they may be on birth control. You know, they may come back for their postpartum visit and get, you know, some method of birth control. And they may feel that things just don't feel quite normal right. and they may relate it to birth control. But again, it, it, we have to look at it all in context and we have to go through everything that's impacting them at that time. So that's one thing that I sometimes have moms come in and they note um, when they're postpartum and they, they right. sometimes attribute it to birth control when it may just be some postpartum changes. Right. I mean, it just sounds like hormones are... They're weird things. I mean, like we're they glad we, we we're glad we have them, yeah. but <laughs> they're doing stuff inside our bodies. <laughs> they're doing things to us. Yeah, and it's so funny because I don't we don't really realize it until we have. I won't say birth control gives you too much hormone, but you're definitely taking hormone from an outside source. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we don't notice it until we're taking that outside source, or we our hormone source is completely drop down, like in menopause, women coming back kind of on the other end of the spectrum who they're not thinking about pregnancy. They can't get pregnant, but boy, oh boy, they're missing their hormones at times. (laughs) Um, So, you know, there's all these different options out there. And I think one that a lot of people are still maybe unfamiliar with is uh, a vaginal ring. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of having to put something inside of yourself is maybe a little like nerve wracking or, or yeah, it's a little, yeah. I mean, listen, huh, the time it took me to get okay with putting a tampon in, I remember being in high school and being like, you want me to do what? You want me to, <laughs> you want me to do where? I was like, I just wrapped my mind around doing this every month. And now you want me to put something like, this is a lot. Before we get into that, here's a quick note from our sponsor. It's time to demand more from your birth control and take control of our reproductive health. Anavera is a first-of-its-kind vaginal ring that lasts an entire year. For each cycle, Anavera is inserted and left in place for 21 continuous days and then removed for seven days. That means no more remembering to take pills every day, no procedures, just long-lasting birth control that puts you in control. 
Keep listening for important risk information about Anavera, including a boxed warning about smoking and cardiovascular risks. So when it comes to the vaginal ring, do you feel it when you're doing daily activities? Do you leave it in when you have sex? Like, is it something that you're going to notice when you have it in? Fantastic question. So you should not be able to feel it doing your regular daily activities. It should feel like a tampon. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, when you first put in a tampon, you kind of like, you know, it's there because you kind of just put it in. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you do like a little shifty. You do like a little side to side. You're like, oh, okay, great. Now it's right. gone. I don't even feel it. <laughs> so, so you know, after after it's in, you you don't really even pay attention to it anymore. That's no. really what a ring should be. What should feel like? Rings are are flexible. Um, they're they're not just like this. You know, hard ring. They're flexible. You know, a lot of times they're usually made of like a silicone, like a medical grade silicone, right. or some other very flexible material. Um, and you you insert it almost like a tampon. You kind of squeeze it together. You mm-hmm. place it in the vagina and place it as high as you can. And once it kind of settles in, once it gets back in the vagina, it will open back up until it, into its ring form. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's a very flexible material, and so most people, once it's in, don't feel it. And I usually tell patients if you are feeling it kind of in an obnoxious way where you're like feeling like you kind of have to keep readjusting it or it's very bothersome. It just may not be that you're there. They might be inserting it properly. Maybe they're not inserting it high up enough where it's kind of almost at the opening of the vagina where they're constantly feeling like something's right. there. So most people, once you kind of counsel them on appropriate placement and they can get that together, they're usually fine and they get it. When it comes to sex, a lot of partners don't feel it. Again, it's very flexible. Interestingly enough, the vagina has, you know, some different little crevices. We call them fornices. And so, <laughs> I mean, listen. Spacious apartment. It, There's a lot of storage space. <laughs> here's the kitchen. No, just kidding. It's not um, a New York apartment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That just takes it to a whole nother level. <laughs> listen, listen. So there are spaces where not that a ring or a tampon or anything can get lost. Like it, it it's a blind ending space, meaning it's like a dead end. So right. it's not like it's going to like keep going and going and going and like end up in your abdomen. Right. But a lot of times, you know, a ring would kind of just go up into the top of the vagina and kind of mm-hmm. settle near where the cervix is. And most people would not feel that. Sometimes partners do, but it's generally not to the point of it causing pain or discomfort. Right. It's more like, oh, I kind of just felt something there. But remember what I said, the rings are generally kind of soft and flexible and mm-hmm. bendy and squishy in the vaginas kind of like that too. So they may not even realize that they're feeling right. something different. But again, you you will have some partners that are like, I feel this, take this out. And it's like, right. well, this is your method of birth control. So <laughs> that's something you guys have to discuss. But yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't generally say that it's something that causes pain or, you know, it's it's an extreme bother for people by any means. Okay. So again, like you are truly a professional. I can tell you've answered these questions because every single time you answer, you like seed something else that I want to know more about. (laughs) So, okay. So say somebody is on this birth control and they say, this is not working for me. I'm having all these side effects and I'm deciding that I'm going to go off of it. Mm -hmm. 
Aside from the obvious risk of potentially getting pregnant, are there other side effects that can uh, arise because I've gone off of my birth control? I wouldn't say any uh, side effect per se, Mm -hmm. but I will tell patients um, that generally when they stop their birth control method, let's use a pack of pills, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally, there are four weeks of pills the first three weeks are active pills and the last week is uh, are inactive or placebo pills. Right. So generally as a woman goes through that pack, she gets to week three and then she starts week four. That's generally where she's going to have a withdrawal bleed. We generally just call it a period, but it's not technically a period. Mm. Um, I know, right? I, I did not know that. It's yes. an undercut. It's like a fake period. It's a, it's, a period in disguise. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the woman taking the hormones, they won't necessarily notice that it's not there. No, it always seems like a period to me. Yeah. It may be lighter. Your your uterus is still doing very similar things under the mm-hmm. con, under the control. I know that sounds very like devious, <laughs> <laughs> but under the control of the hormones, your uterus is still behaving like it would in a normal menstrual um, cycle. But your ovaries, the ovulation is inhibited from your ovaries. Right. So anyway. If they, if they take that and say they get to the end of week four and they're, they're like, you know what, I don't want to take this anymore. And they just stop there. Then generally they'll kind of resume, their body will kind of like kick back in and things will resume back to normal. If they say during like week two, they're like, you know what, I have had it. I don't want to do this anymore. Or who knows? Like they just decide they don't want to do it anymore. They may, once they stop, they may have some irregular bleeding because their body is like, oh, we're no longer getting this hormone that we were getting. Mm. And now we're going to have a withdrawal bleed. So sometimes they'll have some irregular bleeding when they come off of a pill. That's probably one of the more common things that people will have. Some women can get pregnant that first cycle off of a pill. So, you know, there's a lot of people that will say, oh my God, it'll cause infertility or I won't be able to get pregnant. People can absolutely, when they stop that pill, they can absolutely get pregnant that Mm. next cycle. So- Again, that's not so much a side effect, but those are things that I talk to patients about. That's that misinformation that you're talking about where people then assume like, oh, I'm fine. I've been taking birth control forever. My body will remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then the other thing is when, when women are coming off of birth control, again, not a side effect, but just kind of a, something to be aware of when they're coming off of birth control, again, your body wasn't ovulating for the most part, if you were on a pill ring or patch and if your body's coming off of it, your body may say, hey, I'm ovulating tomorrow. You know what I mean? And so if you have unprotected sex, then you could be at at risk for a pregnancy, even though you may not have necessarily been intending a pregnancy. You may have just been coming off of the birth control pill because now I don't want to scare people and just make them think like, oh my God, as soon as I come off this pill, I'm getting pregnant. But it's a conversation that people need to have with themselves, with their partners, with their, you know, with their doctors in terms of what, what makes sense for them in terms of how they navigate, how they use contraception. Yeah, no, that's, that is a really good point because I think there are some people who are going to go off their birth control because they want to get pregnant, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you need to know what your options are and that's, 
exactly why we're having this conversation on the podcast. And and Uh, to your point, really quickly, I want to add, some people will say, well, I'm going to come off my birth control six months before we're going to try and get pregnant. Well, it's like, well, girl, you might get pregnant that next month. So mm -hmm. uh, if that's not what in your mind you envision, if you're like, I have six months to kind of figure this out and get things together and, you know, plan all of this, how I want it to be. You know, you may be in for a right. surprise. If, you know, again, and it may be a great surprise. That person may be like, "Oh, well, we thought it was going to take six months, but it only took one." But again, I think it's just important to have that knowledge that it could happen. So if it does, it doesn't take you by surprise. I think one of the the big things here is that everyone's body is different. And mm-hmm. so it's good to know what the risks are and also to be smart and informed about what you choose, but also know that like our bodies are all different and Mm -hmm. your body's going to react one way to hormones that mine might not and vice versa. Exactly. Yep. Um, You know, I started birth control when I was in eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade, I guess. And, you know, something I talked to my mom about, I went to the gynecologist, I got on it and it was pretty simple. But I also realized that that's a privilege to even Mm -hmm. say that I felt comfortable talking to my mom about it and that she was open and receptive and and pointed me in the right direction. But a lot of people do not have that luxury. Mm -hmm. And so I just would love to talk to you or hear from you about why it's so important that there's equal access for everyone, no matter who you are, where you live, or what stage you are at in your reproductive journey. Yeah, super important. And honestly, it goes back to one of the points that I made earlier is that if someone's goal is to avoid a pregnancy for whatever reason, they're in school, they're working, it just doesn't make sense for them right now, they just don't want kids at all, they should be able to have that option. And honestly, that's just it. Like (laughs) if someone chooses to not have an unintended pregnancy at a given stage in their life, they should be able to access what can help them achieve that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's so true. It's so and simple, it, but I think we kind of, people kind of make know. it more than... <laughs> I know it's, you know, it really is so simple. And I think, um, just putting it plainly like that is very important because everybody should have the ability and the option to make Mm -hmm. choices about their body. I mean, it's just should not be revolutionary or political, but that's where we should should be at. Do you have any suggestions? Because we might have listeners who are you know, still at home with their parents and want to go on birth control, but aren't really sure how to have that conversation with their parents. And, and, you know, I will say I was terrified to talk to my mom Mm -hmm. and she was, she was so cool about it. It was truly shocking. I was like, you're like, what? What have you done with my mother? She was just like, yeah, okay. And I was like, what? Okay, this was super easy. (laughs) But well, all that worry for nothing. Oh my gosh. But not everyone, again, I realize that I might be in the minority there. So do you have any suggestions for how girls can can approach talking to their parents. Mm-hmm. There's some people who might have their only their dad to talk yeah. to, and I can only imagine that would be or very, grandma or oh my gosh, or yeah, right, exactly. So I see I see a lot of young girls. Um, they're some of my favorite. They're some of my favorite patients because they 
you can talk to them and really kind of help set them up on a firm foundation um, in terms of just knowing about their body and how it works and knowing what, where their body parts are and just just the basics. And a lot of times when I see young girls, they're coming in with generally with their mom, sometimes with another guardian or they're sometimes with their dad, but a lot of times with their moms. And I honestly just tell them, and I'm like, this is like more from just a, a people standpoint than a doctor standpoint, but I'm like, communicate with your mom. Like, I know it seems super scary and it seems really intimidating. And it just seems, you know, like, how am I going to even form my mouth to say these words and ask right. these questions? But I just say, listen, you would rather have this conversation than, you know, if we're speaking specifically about pregnancy, because obviously we talk about a lot of other things, mm-hmm. but you'd rather have this conversation versus uh, the oh, other, God. the other, com- the other conversation. <laughs> I, you know, I might be pregnant. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is something I, I, I also say, you know what, this is your body. This is your life. You have to be able to speak up for yourself and speak on your behalf and really be able to do that even going forward in the future. Mm -hmm. And so why not start now? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Why not start at a place where you can talk, like your mom has known you your whole entire life. Right. Um, You know, your mom is going to love you regardless of, you know, how bad you think the words coming out of your mouth are going to be. You know, so just helping them use their voice. And I also talk talk to them and say, you know, if you're not comfortable having this conversation with your mom, are you comfortable even having sex? Mm. Are you comfortable even, are you comfortable having sex? And the whole reason you need the birth control is because you've decided that you want to walk down this particular path. Right. You, you have know, to be prepared to take in all of the poten- all do. of the potential consequences. You do. And I, I literally, I talk to them straight up just like that. I, I tell them that like, mm-hmm. if, if, like if, if you're going to be out here and your goal, like, you know, in your mind, okay, I, sh- I, I don't, I'm, I'm 15, I'm 16, I'm 17 or however old I am. And I don't want to get pregnant. But then at the same time, you can't vocalize and verbalize to someone who cares for you how to avoid that. We have to, you know, we have to talk about some other things. And I I, I, talk, I go down the whole line. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, if we get pregnant, then what are you going to do? What is your plan? You know, what's your goal in life? Like, what, like, what are your goals? Is it going to be easier to do that and achieve those goals pregnant? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go for it. No. Okay. What can we do? to mitigate that. And, and again, you may need to talk to your mom. I mean, if they're 18 or 19 and they can come to the doctor on their right. own, have you as a different story, but a lot of times they're coming with their moms and you're having these conversations and, and we try and, and, and make health visits confidential. But a lot of times I've had young girls who they want their moms in the room. And so it's like, right. we have to have, like, we can't not have the conversation if you want, want her. Yeah. No, but I really, oh. I really like the perspective of if you want, to make this decision about your body and your you should be able to make choices for yourself but you have to think about the consequences mm-hmm. of that yep. choice um and be mature enough to be mm-hmm. honest with yourself and yep. and approach your parent um you know it's funny <laughs> there's an analogy that i heard on 90210 i'm dating myself don't judge me <laughs> oh girl um, i was i watched 90210 i i remember i know but the listeners might be like wow what is that <laughs> 
what? <laughs> what is this strange series of numbers? Um, so Donna, <laughs> Donna said uh-huh. something to the effect of, you know, sex is like a swimming pool. You can build a fence around the pool and you can tell your kids not to go in the pool. But at the end of the day, do you want them to get in that pool and not know how to swim? Or mm-hmm. do you want to make sure that they like have their little floaties mm-hmm. and they know if they get in that pool, how to get out of it and how to be yeah. safe. And I just thought that like really, really, st- it really, really stuck with me Yeah. because at the end of the day, kids are going to find a way. <laughs> They're good. They are very yeah. crafty and you want them to be informed. And so, you know, I would hope that parents you know, it must be strange to think of your kid having sex, but there's some part of you I would hope that would say, wow, my kid was mature enough and they're trying to be smart and safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they knew they could come to me and be honest rather than to your point, not talk to me and, and end up in a situation that is, you know, not, not great, you know? Yeah. And honestly, I've seen some young women who've come in and um, they've had pregnancies really early in life and they're, they're still successful, but it's, it's just a different road. It's just right. a different journey. And I tell them all the time, you know, obviously we don't know what the future holds, but you know, if you're right. 19 or 20, you have a lot of future ahead of you, ideally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I just, my goal is just to help women make choices that are the most optimal choices for their life at that moment in time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Creating an environment where um, you can try and help foster that relationship between parent and child so that they can feel more comfortable asking questions and and just and, and being open to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and then is there a specific age where you would say a woman should or shouldn't take birth control? Like, is there a time that's too early or too late where you're like, sorry, you know, you have passed the threshold. <laughs> you right. passed the point of no return. You're good, girl. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> so really, term in terms of timing, um, any woman who is – um, having monthly periods and who therefore can get pregnant and who wants to prevent a pregnancy, they are a candidate for birth control. Mm-hmm. So I know that seems very general and almost kind of vague. Um, but if I have a 20 year old who is living their best life and they are working or they're in college or insert whatever else they're, they're doing and mm-hmm. they Pregnancy is not what they want for their life at that moment. Birth control is an option. If I have a 45-year-old woman who she may be a few years away from menopause, but she doesn't want um, to you know, risk a pregnancy at that age, she mm-hmm. maybe she's done with childbearing, she's completed her family, birth control can be right for her as well. Now, when a woman is menopausal, so typically menopause meaning they go for without a period for a year. Mm-hmm. When a woman is menopausal, she can't get pregnant. So if the average age of menopause is about 51, so if there's a 
52-year-old woman, 53-year-old woman, they haven't had their periods for two years. No, they don't, they don't need birth control to right. prevent a pregnancy because they pregnancy is not an option for They're them. They're on nature's birth control. They, exactly. That's the, <laughs> I have to start using that. Nature's birth control menopause. Yes. It, sounds like, it sounds like a commercial. Side um, effects may include hot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so the, the biggest thing is anyone who is looking to not have an unintended pregnancy right. candidate for, for birth control. And again, the method will vary depending on each individual person and their own background and their own medical history. But that, that's how I would generally answer that is anyone who wants to prevent a pregnancy. Okay. And that's a, that's a really great segue into our next question because you did touch on like the patch, for example. Mm -hmm. So I know off the top of my head, condoms, pills, the IUD, are there any other birth control forms that we should include in that umbrella? Because again, the patch is one that I truly had not thought of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are a lot of options. When I counsel patients, Again, I ask them what they think will work best for them. Do they have any reasons they can't take one method or the other? And I generally go from like the least work for patients and, and the least amount of medications or hormones. And I want to say, I don't even want to say the most hormones, but just in terms of the way that a patient uses it. So of course you have condoms, which can be used at the point of, of intercourse. Mm -hmm. People use things such as diaphragms, cervical caps, sponges, and those are more types of birth control that a woman would use and that she would insert. There's spermicide. So those are kind of the ones that people can pretty much just get over the counter. You could probably buy some of that stuff on Amazon, but you know right. what I mean. Yeah. And um, so you have those types of birth control, different barrier methods. Mm -hmm. You would include condoms, diaphragms, cervical caps, and barrier methods. And then you have, as you mentioned, the pills. You have hormonal methods. So you have pills, um, the patch, you have injections such as like Depo-Provera. And then you also have rings, the ring forms of birth control. And then you also have uh, IUDs. You have the hormonal classification and then you move on to surgical options. Mm. So some people are like, I am done. Right. Having babies, I don't want to have any more babies. We have completed our family. The circle so, of life is complete. Exactly. So for women, that may include um, having a tubal ligation or having their tubes completely removed. Mm -hmm. And then men can also have a vasectomy. So I think I, I, think I hit all of the mm -hmm. types of birth control. I don't think I left any of them out. But those are kind of how we would approach it. Barrier methods, hormonal methods, and then surgical uh, options. So before we close out our conversation, how can women feel more in control of their birth control? So I think women can feel more in control by knowing their choices and then having access to those choices. And that will just give them the opportunity to say, hey, this method works for me or this method no longer works for me. I have the option to try something else. I think that's that's what gives us the most control when it comes to birth control. Amazing. That is, I mean... You're truly a professional. You've done this before. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, I'm so glad that I could share in this safe space. I feel like I was one of your um, patients getting all this great knowledge from you and just having an affirming space to talk about our bodies and making the right choices for us. So thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Absolutely. It has, it has been my pleasure. I am always trying to uplift, empower, and educate in whatever space that I can. Um, because like we said, there's so much misinformation out there that you know people want to see it coming from a reliable, friendly source. So it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again. Subscribe to Full Disclosure by Pop Sugar wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Full Disclosure by Pop Sugar is presented by Anavera, the only long-lasting reversible birth control that is procedure-free and controlled by women. Keep listening for important risk information about Anavera, including a boxed warning about smoking and cardiovascular risks. Do not use Anavera, Suggesterone Acetate, and Ethanyl Estradiol Vaginal System if you smoke cigarettes and are over 35 years old. Smoking increases your risk of serious heart and blood vessel cardiovascular side effects from hormonal birth control methods, including death from heart attack, blood clots, or stroke. This risk increases with age and the number of cigarettes you smoke. Anavera does not protect against HIV infection, AIDS, and other sexually transmitted infections. The use of a combination hormonal contraceptive, or CHC, like Anovera, is associated with increased risks of several serious side effects, including blood clots, stroke, or heart attack. Do not use Anovera if you have a history of these conditions, have reduced blood flow to your brain, cerebrovascular disease, or reduced blood flow or blockage in any of the arteries that supply blood to your heart, cardiovascular disease, or any condition that makes your blood more likely to clot. The risk of blood clots is highest when you first start using CHCs and when you restart the same or different CHC after not using it for four weeks or more. Enovera is also not for women with high blood pressure that medicine can't control or high blood pressure with blood vessel damage, diabetes and over 35 years old, diabetes with high blood pressure or kidney, eye, nerve or blood vessel damage, diabetes for longer than 20 years, certain kinds of severe migraine headaches, liver disease or liver tumors, breast cancer or any cancer that is sensitive to the female hormones estrogen or progesterone, unexplained vaginal bleeding, are allergic to suggesterone acetate, ethanyl estradiol, or any other ingredients in Anavera, or take any hepatitis C drug combination containing ombidesvir, paritoprevir, ritonavir, with or without disabuvir, as this may increase levels of the liver enzyme alanine aminotransferase in the blood. Anavera can cause serious side effects, including blood clots, toxic shock syndrome, liver problems, including liver tumors, high blood pressure, gallbladder problems, changes in the sugar and fat, cholesterol, and triglyceride levels in your blood, headache, irregular or unusual vaginal bleeding and spotting between your menstrual periods, depression, possible cancer in your cervix, swelling of your skin, especially around your mouth, eyes, and in your throat, angioedema, dark patches of skin on your forehead, cheeks, upper lip and chin, cloasma. Call your healthcare provider or get emergency medical care right away if any of these serious side effects occur. The most common side effects reported and at least 5% of the women who received Anovera were headaches or migraine, nausea or vomiting, vaginal yeast infection, candiasis, lower and upper abdominal pain, painful periods, vaginal discharge, urinary tract infection, breast pain or tenderness, irregular vaginal bleeding, diarrhea, and genital itching. Anovera is a ring-shaped vaginal system with hormones used by females to prevent pregnancy. 
Anavera has not been adequately studied in females with a body mass index greater than 29 kilograms per meter squared. The risk information provided here is not complete. To learn more, review the Anavera patient information and talk with your healthcare provider or pharmacist. The FDA-approved product labeling, including patient information, can be found at anavera.com forward slash pi dot pdf. You may also report side effects to the FDA at fda.gov forward slash medwatch or by calling 1-800-FDA-1088. You may also report side effects to Therapeutics MD at 1-888-228-0150.